Philippians chapter 2, but we will, we're going to read more than what's in the bulletin. We're going to read from chapter 1 and verse 27 through verse 11 of chapter 2, just to put ourselves back in context. And so, you can follow along in the bulletin once we get to verse 5, or you can take the Pew Bible out. And follow along from chapter 1, 27, all the way through. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you Look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Word of God for the people of God. It is a hard and sad reality that if you're a parent, you likely have had to say this or you have said something to skate around saying it, but sort of said it. Do as I do. Do as I say, rather. Not as I do. Do as I say. Not as I do. And the depth of sadness that ought to strike you when you have to say that or something similar ought to strike you at the very core of your being because you know in that moment that you are acting in a way that is what would be called hypocrisy. It would be called being two-faced or anything that's along 
those lines. And so here, here we, we know the reality of sin, that, that this is said by people. It's said by many parents. It's said by, yes, even, even pastors and even, even elders and even deacons. That, that's the reality of being a sinner who is growing in grace. And, and yet, here we are. Paul is now moving into that exhortation that we began to talk about last week. That chapter 1 and verse 27, all through chapter 2 and verse 18, Paul has now turned. And he's now saying to us as those who have been brought into the church, those who have been baptized into this covenant community, those who have been immersed into the language of the church, he is now saying to you, do. But he is not saying it like this, do as I say, not as I do. And he's not saying it in the way that you might say, well, that's great that the Lord expects that of us. No, he's saying now as we get to our text, do as Christ says, because He has done exactly what He says. In this text, He shows us that our King, the King of glory, never had to say, do as I say, not as I do. The humility, the the condescension, all of those things that, that the Apostle began to draw out for us and set before us, in those first four verses of chapter 2, he's now going to show you that it is not something abstracted from Christ. It's who Christ is and what He's done. And So as we've said, He's exhorting us, calling us to this worthy citizenship in the kingdom. Now He's going to illustrate it. He's going to illustrate it from Christ Himself. That, that our unity that's supposed to be centered and grounded in Christ is also the thing that gives us hope. That we look to Jesus in everything. And as we look to Him, in that is our salvation. It's what we heard in our little time with the children this morning. That we look to Him and He does it. And so as we look at these verses this morning, there are two things that I want you to see. I want you to see your hope and example in Christ's humility, and your hope and example in Christ's exaltation. Now, there are a lot of subpoints under these, so uh, you, you have to pay attention to those. I'll give them to you as we come. But the hope and example we have in Christ's humility. Paul has said to us, verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. And now in verse 5, I'm going to weave back and forth like this so you'll pick up how he weaves it in. Now he says, have this mind in you. Be of the same mind. What mind? Here it is. He's going to tell you the mind that he wants you to have in you that he was telling you in verse 2 to have. And then he says, what? Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Verse 6, Who, though He was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. There it is. There is your hope. You say to me, do nothing from selfish ambition, nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. What does that look like? who though He was in the form of God, 
did not consider it a thing to be grasped. We have it. Hope and example. Hope in that Christ has done this. Example in that now you are being called to do the same thing. Hope and example. You have it in His self-denial. This humility in His self-denial. What does it say? Who though He was in the form of God. What do we mean when we say He's in the form of God? Is it just that He's appearing only as God, but He's not really God, but He's coming kind of? No. No, the word is that everything that makes God God, Jesus is. The same in substance, equal in power and glory. God of God, light of light. Everything that makes God God, Christ is. Who in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, He is God Himself, and yet He doesn't hold on to the privileges of deity. When God in His eternal counsel said, we are going to save, He said, I will go. I will lay aside the privileges of my deity, the privileges of being the second person of the Trinity, and I will take to myself a human nature. And this is all in the light of the Apostle Paul saying, what? Humble yourselves in the same way that Christ has. Jesus, the Lord of glory, the King of kings, the the One who is the Ancient of Days, sets aside the privilege of divinity and steps into time and space and takes to Himself a human nature. His glory is not something that must not slip His grip. And so it is with us as we are immersed into the family of Christ, as we are united to Him and to each other. We ought never to be above being humbled and serving others. Do you understand that's what Paul is weaving here? He's bringing this together. He's not just giving this this beautiful picture of Christ that He is. It is glorious. It is something that ought to take us aback and make us wonder at the grace that Jesus pours out. But He's also saying, now, now in this community of faith, you walk in the same way that Christ did. That's how you... well." Let your manner of life be worthy of the Gospel. That's how you citizen yourself worthily of the Gospel. And so you've got this this glorious example in His self-denial. This humility that out of love He steps out toward others in the very form of God. Did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing. So that as He walked this earth, they did not know. They didn't see anything that would have made them think, you know what, this guy is God. He didn't have a halo unlike your Renaissance art pictures. That's that's not how He walked the earth. He walked the earth as as a man. And in appearance, He appeared no different than them. And yet, and yet with love, He goes out to others. He came 
made himself nothing. He took away his privileges by adding to himself a human nature. He submitted willingly in this abasement. The only time I like to the only time I like to make myself nothing is when someone else is going to make much of me. I don't mind serving and doing dishes at the church and taking out trash just so long as someone notices. Sometimes I'll even slow down taking it out of the can because I hear someone coming and I want them to know. But here he is, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, same in substance, equal in power and glory, who with a word made those soldiers fall back and could have done that his entire earthly ministry and walk, and yet he walked in humility before them, having no comeliness nor thing to attract them to him. He came in self-denial. Do you not know that I could call to my Father and He would send legions of angels? He would say, And he denies himself this in order that you might be redeemed. And in order now that as those who have been brought into his family, you might understand that jockeying for position in the church isn't the way of Christ unless that position is that of a servant. So you have humility then in his self-denial. That Christ's kingdom is a kingdom immersed into the ways of Christ. And his way is the way of submission. and Not of clamoring for recognition. But it's also the way of service, as we've already said. Humility in his service. He made himself nothing Taking the form of a servant. Same, same word. Same word as before. Everything that makes God, God, Jesus is and now. You see it in this way of service. Everything that makes a servant, a servant, Christ is. So that when He came to this earth, He did not lay aside those privileges only like Bear Gryllis when he's out in the wild, you think he's doing these things, and really at night he's sleeping in a tent or a hotel or somewhere nice and cozy. No, no, he really came as a servant. Everything that makes a servant a servant, Christ is. The self denial, the condescension, the obedience, the death to self. You know what? When there his mind is entangled with what's coming and his face is set toward Jerusalem. And yet after supper, he stands up and he takes off his outer layer and he wraps a towel around his waist and he takes up that other towel and he does what? He washes their feet. It wasn't for show. It's because he is a servant. This is a deliberate contrast between verse 6 and and verse 7 that everything that makes God, God, Jesus is and as lowly and as deep and as, as little as you might think of a servant. Especially one in those days. Christ is. 
and in Him is all of your hope, and in Him is all of your example. Do you want to understand how a church might function in this glorious picture where there is, where there is people of same mind, of same love, of full of cord? It's by looking to Jesus and focusing on Him and fixating ourselves on Him and walking after Him. You have this deliberate service, this King serving rebels, this King serving those who have no claim. Though He was rich, He became poor for our sakes. Though He was robed in light, He came into a dark world. And His death was surrounded by darkness. On the cross, the world was plunged into darkness. And so you have Him. And so you understand, don't you, that Christ's kingdom immersed into His ways is, a, is a, an immersion into service, not being served. And you get it in His condescension, don't you? Being found in human form. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on cross. This is the one whose face lit the face of Moses. Moses was called up onto the mount and he spent time there with the Lord and was face to face with Him. And as he comes back down, he has to put a veil over his face. He had been face to face with Christ. And he had to cover that face. And now, here is that very one. Condescending to save. It's the very face that Elijah couldn't see or he'd be killed. Had to be put in the cleft of a rock. And yet he comes to his people. He comes on this earth that he might save. You get it in his obedience. Humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death. The first Adam didn't obey a simple command. Don't eat of that tree. Every other tree is yours. Don't eat of that one. Every other thing you can have, don't eat of that one. And Christ comes into this world. The One who, who is the giver of the law comes in obedience to the law. The One who the law is the, the mirror of His perfection comes that He might obey that those who did not keep it perfectly might be made Righteous. He humbles Himself in obedience. One man said it this way, Christ came into an entirely new relationship with the Father. From eternity He was a Son. Now He becomes the servant under the law, bound to obey, charged with the work given Him to do, and threatened with the direst consequences for Himself and all connected with Him should His obedience falter. He became a slave without rights, a non-person who wouldn't turn to those crucifying Him and say, don't you know who I am? He was obedient where we're not. He was obedient where we would buck and deny that, that we would say, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm above that. Don't ask me to do that. 
sort of thing. What do you think of me? And he comes in obedience. In submission to God's law. And you get it, his example, his hope that he offers in his death, don't you? And he became obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. There's enough documentation on it. You can go and read about the nature of the humiliation of a death on a cross. It was not, it was not a pleasant thing. It was humiliating on the main road, stripped naked for all to see, taunted, jeered at. This is your Christ. He comes in this sort of humility, and in His humility He endured the wrath of God on behalf of, of you. And He brought you grace, and He brought me grace in what He did. The giver and the sustainer of life gave Himself over to death. That others might live. And all of this Paul is wrapping up and connecting that you might have hope in this. This is all of your hope. Christ as He is, as He gives Himself, is all of your hope. But He's also your example. That you might give yourself out even unto death in the service of Him. In the name of Christ, in His kingdom. Calvin would say it this way, For it is the design of the Holy Spirit that we should in the death of Christ see and taste and ponder and feel and recognize nothing but God's unmixed goodness and the love of Christ toward us, which was great and inestimable, that Regardless of himself, he devoted himself and his life for our sakes. So we're pointed to Christ in his humiliation. We are told that this is all of our hope. We are also told that as we are immersed into the life of the kingdom of God, into this church, into this body in which we learn the language, in which we come together and we are united. As we are immersed into that, we are to do it following only after Christ, not after personalities. Men will rise up strong in personality throughout their days and throughout the days of the church, and many lead them the church astray because of a strong personality. But we are never to look to men. Have this mind in you which was also in Christ. Always, ever, only to Jesus. Because always, ever, only is He your hope, your salvation. And your example. And so the Apostle Paul tells us to have this mind in us. And upon seeing it, we might go, whoa, that's, that's a lot of humility, yes. 
But remember, your Jesus doesn't ask you to do anything that He hasn't done. He doesn't say to you, do as I say, not as I do. And in following Him, then, you are also united to Him so that you rejoice with joy at this next thing. You have the hope in His exaltation. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and given Him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's exalted. Not only is He brought low in the time of His earthly ministry, is He in His humiliation there, but the Lord exalts Him so that, as the Apostle Paul says to you, have this mind in you, you understand that Christ did everything He did for the hope of glory that was set before Him. For the joy that is to come. The humiliation that you experience now, the the humility that you are to walk in now, you don't see the glory now. See it when he returns. First cross, then crown. First humiliation, then exaltation. Christ is exalted then to show his supremacy. This one who came, he also prayed, Lord, glorify me now with the glory that was mine before I came. And then you being united to Him will share. You will share not in His divinity, but in His glory. He will bring you into His presence and you will see Him as He is and you will glory in Him. He placed a seal over Him. He vindicated who He is and what He did in raising Him up because Christ willingly laid down His perfect life and took it up again. And because of that, you understand that all of His promises are yes and amen to you. All of the promises are yours in Christ. And so you draw near to Him because of who Christ is. He's exalted to show His supremacy and His divinity. He gave Him the name that is above every name. Now, you you might just think he's talking, you know, in a way that just shows that Christ is above all. But he's he's once again saying what he said in verse six that everything that makes God God, Jesus is because God Himself, of course, this is Christ speaking in the Old Testament says, "I am the Lord; that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another." Christ is God. He is exalted to show His divinity. So why does the Spirit show us Christ's exaltation? Because it's a vindication of our hope. That what He calls us to do in this life, that serving others with an outward-facing love that says, I don't have to have recognition. I don't have to have my way. I am able to die to myself. I am able to follow in obedience. I am able to go the way that my Savior went. That vindication will come to you in this. All of your hope is wrapped up 
in what happened to Christ in His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And your hope is vindicated because He was raised. It's the vindication of our hope. And in that, we have, we have the power to forsake the world. We have the power to forsake our lusts. We have the power to forsake everything for the sake of Christ. And that if He calls us to leave all and follow Him, we will gain everything. That if He takes away everything we have in this world, we've lost nothing. Because He's going to repay it a hundredfold. Christ is all of our hope. So there are three reasons that Paul uses Christ as this illustration for us. One, to demonstrate your absolute need of Him. The Lord doesn't just come to you and say, do. He drives you to Jesus because He can say, it's been done. And in Him is all of your hope. The Gospel is what Jesus has done. And now as those who live in light of that, He can say to you, now follow Him. And so He comes to us to show us our absolute need of Him. That God Himself must accomplish it. That there is no hope without Him. There's no possibility in ourselves. You're people who say, do as I say, not as I do. But that's not the case with the Lord. He's done it. Secondly, to demonstrate His ability to accomplish what He promised. He had said there will be one who will crush the head of the serpent. And He's fulfilled that promise. And He draws us into Him. And then lastly, to give us that example to follow. To tell us the good news of Christ and what He has done and that He's done what we could not that He might then say, Therefore, follow me. That's the, that's the picture all throughout the Bible. You get, the, you get that preface to the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord thy God who hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. It's been done so that you might do. This text, it's been done in Christ so that you might follow Him. That all of your hope might be in Him. So what do we do with this? We step back. We step back and we say, Lord, we give You thanks for Jesus. But now give us grace to follow Him. This isn't just writing so that we might, that we might not take it to heart. No, He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You're not going to save the world. That's Christ's job. But you are to follow Him in the exact same sort of humility. Self-denial. Service. Condescension. Obedience. And even death. And you trust the Lord to exalt you. Let's go to Him in prayer. Almighty God, give us hope in Jesus. Let all of our hope be in Him and what He has done. That He who in the very form of God came and took to Himself a human nature and was a very true servant and He died for sinners that we might be made like Him. That He might raise us up. 
and share His exaltation with us that we might know His glory. Oh Lord, do this in our hearts and in our minds that we might have this mind in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. We ask this in Christ's name.